speaks of what the Father is doing amongst us. And, and uh, we're just delighted. Um, numbers are important. It doesn't matter what people say, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's not, it's not being the biggest or any that sort of stuff. But numbers are important. They're an indication of what God is doing. There is life. And last week uh, was incredible, both in terms of the morning service and the evening service. What God was doing was just absolutely stunning. And uh, if that was unusual to you, you know, seeing people being prayed for, uh, please be assured it's all totally above board and it's all in the book. And uh, you can read that for yourself or you can ask me and I'll point you in the right direction of where it is. Um, but it's just the family of God getting together and ministering to one another. It's just a, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And the most important thing is never what's happening on the outside, you know, but it's always what God's doing on the inside. It's always the most important thing. And uh, so that's that. Are we good to go? Wonderful. That is good. Or I was going to have to keep. Um, that was all planned, by the way, what I said. But I had some other things that I was going to have to witter on about for the, for the next while. So um, hold on. Great stuff. Hmm. Okay, so here we are. Uh, last week, Chantel just did a stunning job about the Holy Spirit, and I hope that that was really helpful for uh, some of you. But we want to be a people of his presence. We want to be a people um, that just naturally uh, invite the supernatural, because ultimately it's in his presence. We sung it this morning. It's in his presence that we're changed, and uh, we want to continue to do that and, and give uh, space and opportunities for you folks to receive the Holy Spirit. And more of the Holy Spirit because we leak, as she said. Uh, but also to, to encourage you guys, if that's not been your practice, to, to learn how to minister in the power of his spirit. Not only are we incredibly excited about what God's doing here, and I mean in this environment, but we're really, really excited to seeing more of his presence out there. Because ultimately, Jesus didn't intend us to keep it to ourselves right he intended it that it's for the for those that don't yet know him and so one of the things that we're going to be talking about this week when we meet the directors is what we're going to do next year and one of the things we're going to do uh, next year is going to be going after those that don't know Jesus more and more we really really want to engage with folks in our community a quick story because I've just caught her eye uh, Mana and Zulema uh, had a meeting just this week um, in our venue for uh, folks that live here are non-nationals and uh, they had 12 including yourselves adults and uh, the number of children that met there and that is just truly stunning just absolutely wonderful folks in our community a bit like myself who are not from around these parts and um, and uh, can I come actually <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Most people are welcome, except the English. Great. <laughs> Who said yeah? Who said that? Goodness me. There you go. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there we go. There we go. Um, good stuff. Let's, let's dive into what I'm meant to be talking about this morning. And that's leaving space around the edges. Two weeks ago, uh, we weren't here in church, and that's because we're in Cheltenham for a really good friend of ours' wedding. Uh, Chantel kind of spoke about it last week. It was just amazing. Great, great friend of ours, uh, uh, remarried 
after uh, years of, uh, of being a, a separate, being apart. It's just the most stunning uh, thing of reconciliation, redemption. It was just amazing. For us, it was brilliant because we got a weekend with our mates in England, and it was just brilliant. We had such a laugh. And over the su- on the Sunday, we'd been to Starbucks in the morning instead of church. Forgive me. I know that's really, really bad, right? I shouldn't have told you that. Um, but we, we, we were walking through the streets of Cheltenham, and Chantal and I just turned to each other and just said, that was great, wasn't it? Wasn't that a great weekend? And we, we just absolutely had such a great time. And the weekend before, we'd been in Coleraine for Encounter More, the conference there, and we'd really met with Jesus, and we'd had time again away. And, and we both said to each other, we need to deliberately just carve out time in our space and in our schedule to just be, to have fun and to fellowship and to just to, just to find uh, one another and to, and to find God. And that's really what I want to share with you. And I, I hope that for some folks here this morning, this will be really freeing for you, really freeing. And, and I'm going to talk about the fact that we live life to the max because we do, because the 21st century is pretty full with demands in our lives. And um, there's so much going on in our diary, in our calendar. In fact, I was going to show you an image of our calendar, but... Um, I thought I better not because some of your names are on it because um, uh, I've met you uh, or Chantel has. And we, Praise the Lord. I, sometimes I, I know I kind of don't like Apple products and what have you because they don't always work, right? But Apple Calendar has just saved our marriage. <laughs> the, the ability to sync our calendars has oh, saved so many arguments. It's been amazing. And, but our calendar is just full and full and I'm sure that that is reflective of yours as well. We need to uh, find space and time and life around the edges. You can see that. It kind of resembles something, you know, that you might buy from the mogul. As you know, the kebab shop in Carrick, yeah? Or maybe actually the remnants of what might happen afterwards if you had a mogul. But, uh, but actually, <laughs> I think actually looking at that, it's apple strudel ready to be kind of wrapped around the edges. It was the best image I could get. And you'll understand more about it. So I'm going to look at a fantastic story from the book of Ruth. And background, if you don't know the story, the story's not familiar to you. It's a great wee book. It's four chapters and you can read it. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a couple called Elimech and uh, Naomi. And they move from Bethlehem with their two sons to a country called Moab because of famine. And when they're there, the husband dies. And the two sons marry Moabite women. And the two sons die. It's like a tragic story, really. And all that's left is Naomi. And Naomi decides to return to where she's come from, from this country of Moab to uh, Bethlehem. And um, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who also is a widow, feels kind of bound to this woman, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and decides to return to a country which is not her own, to uh, to the town of Bethlehem. And so as two widows, they return just in time for the barley season. And here we go. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to read a few verses together. So if you have your Bibles, uh, get there. But here we are. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. I can't really pronounce it. I kind of say it quickly so it doesn't sound too bad. Whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. 
As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of that person. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi, she said. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and was, has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth has uh, arrived. She's come from a country uh, to a culture not her own. Uh, she's a refugee. She's left her family and what she knows to be true and what she's always known to come and live in a distant land. And some of us know that experience and uh, we've already shared that this morning. Uh, that there are many others within our own town and in our own villages and our own neighborhoods who that is their actual real experience. Her husband has died and all that she knows to be safe and secure has gone. She uh, is bound to Naomi and she is settling in a place where they have very, very little, uh, very little security. And because they have very little, they need food. And so uh, Ruth goes gleaning. And gleaning is an is a Old Testament practice that would have uh, taken place, and it's part of the Deuteronomic Code, where farmers would have left the corners on the edges of fields for the poor and for foreigners to uh, get food, basically. And so what they would do during harvest time is they would harvest their fields, but they would deliberately leave the edges and leave the corners and leave bits that were kind of weren't kind of gathered in their hands, just leave them on the ground so that the poor and those with, with very little could come and that they could get the food or they could come up and sweep up after them, basically. Get the, get the leftovers, really. And in many ways, it was one of the original kind of welfare systems. And it was passed down, and there you, there you can see it's from Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the edges, but leave some. Leave it there for others. And do you see the principle? The principle is this. It's like, don't gather everything for yourself. And don't worry, this isn't another talk um, about generosity and uh, giving, although the principle is exactly the same. It is the same. It's about, don't get everything for you, but actually leave space. Leave some around the edges. And we're going to apply this principle uh, to our own lives, and particularly uh, to time in a minute. Uh, but it's this edge, it's this kind of, the, the bit that's kind of wasted at the, at, at, the, at the end there. It's often through the rubbish and through the waste of our own lives that God 
uh, has an ability to uh, enter our lives and give us life. It's through the brokenness of our own lives that we meet Jesus most. And I want to encourage you folks, if life is really difficult, you'll find yourself in a season of, of great pain and of brokenness and of loss and of transition and everything just seems to, you need an anchor. You need an anchor right now and it's in those places that he is the anchor and he is as close to you in this season, even though life and everything else going around you doesn't seem like that. He is as close with you in this time. Do we have any coffee snobs here? Anyone enjoy drinking coffee? What's the most expensive cup of coffee you can buy? Do you know, apart from Starbucks or anything like that? Have you ever heard of um, coffee called Luwak coffee? Yes. yes? What, any, any others? Nodders? Yeah, okay. So here's the deal on this. That, that funny little creature there is the Indonesian Kopi Luwak. And it's a wild cat-like animal that... Uh, that kind of goes around, and it, what it does is it eats the cherries. It eats the, the, the coffee cherries, and it kind of enjoys that. But the bit, the stone, which is actually the coffee bean, they're unable to digest. And so things that we and Kopi Luax cannot digest kind of come out of their bums and comes out, and they, they, they end up pooing it. And so what they found is that through its uh, digestive tract and its anal scent glands, that they use for marking their territory, uh, that through this apparently it gives the coffee bean an acquired kind of unique addition to it. This is totally straight up. Straight up. <laughs> straight out and straight up, I guess. <laughs> but apparently, so, so this was discovered I think, just over 20 years ago and uh, so they would have gone behind them picking up the coffee beans and then they ground the coffee and apparently it just gives the most amazing acquired taste. And, and uh, apparently that this stuff, the real deal, would set you back about 50 pounds a cup. And there's certain places where you can uh, acquire that, probably in London or other major cities. But the point of the story is this, it's out of the waste. Isn't it? Out of the waste that something beautiful, something amazing can can take place. A diamond is formed under great pressure. A pearl starts as a bit of grit inside an oyster. And it's out of that that something amazing, something beautiful. What is so funny? Everyone keeps laughing. And I, what have I said? London Zoo. Good one. Here we go. So it's under pressure, isn't it? And, and I've said that the, many of us, we are under pressure in our lives. Britain has the third longest hours, working hours in Europe. 28% increase in the use of antidepressants in the last three years. There's pressure financially. There's pressure to find work. There's pressure at work. There's pressure at home. There's pressure to fulfill duties and what have you. And guys, no matter what technology brings to us in terms of labor-saving devices, I just don't agree with that. We are living flat out. Never has there been a time in our lives in culture where we were just flat out and flat out. And yet, those of us who are Christians, sometimes actually there can be that extra pressure, that extra pressure to do this and to do that and to fulfill duties. And that should not be the way it should be. 
anyone watch that program about David Beckham just a couple of weeks ago? We went to Brazil on motorbikes. It was quite good. I watched the second half of it, and I was really struck by the scene when he meets this man who describes his life as just very simple. He says, I have a very small home, and I live there with my wife and with my children, and I provide for, for ourselves through this, and he said all the different foods and the way that they would kind of get stuff. It's a very, very simple way of life in, in the uh, Amazon rainforest in Brazil where they were. And you could just tell that David Beckham, who has lots going for him and lots, just was envious of what this man had. The simple things, the simplicity of this man's life. All he wanted to do was be with his wife and his kids. It's the simple things. And yet, um, our complicated lives and everything around us has just created pressure. We need to leave gleanings in our life. We need to work out a way of doing that. How do we do that? Well, first of all, leave waste in your calendar. Free up some time. Free up some space. Thursday the 27th in this person's... Can you see that? You can't quite, can you? This is a great day. It's carving out time and space. That's like sacred. Um, where there's no agenda. When we planted this church, we were given this advice that um, whenever you plant a church, to, to, you're going to live a life of unsustainable pace, meaning it's going to be crazy. And that's usually the first year. And the first year was crazy. The second year was crazier. I have to be honest with you. I thought, this is going to be even more. The third year was crazier again. And during that third year, I was like, things have got to change. And so we're now in our fourth year, and uh, thankfully, uh, I've worked a three-day teaching week, which has given me time to, to be able to do both, both teach and both uh, pastor a growing, thriving church. And that's just been wonderful. And I remember in September, uh, kind of coming, thinking, goodness, I've got an evening to myself. What, what am I going to do with my time? And, and at first, it was really unusual. It's like, goodness, I've got most of my evenings back. That's absolutely wonderful. And I guess the point is this, that we must, we cannot sustain a, a, a life that is just full all the time. And we need to carve out time within it. Take a Sabbath. On the seventh day, what did God do? He rested, didn't he? And be sure that we do this. Holiness does not equal hyperactivity. At the same time, we need to know that it is okay to be busy, okay? Because life is busy, right? For many, many folks, it is okay. But to know that they're just periods. Jesus had busy periods. He had times when he missed lunch. He had times when people were hounding after him. He had times when disciples wanted it. He had times when the Pharisees wanted his attention. He had times when he had crowds and he couldn't feed them. Well, he could feed them and he ended up feeding them. Um, but there were times when it was busy, but he still craved the hills. He still craved time alone. He still craved time for uh, fun and outside of doing ministry. And uh, I wonder, can you read that just about maybe? This guy here, uh, whose notes I've stolen actually, by the way, is a fantastic hero of mine, Pete. Greg, he uh, founded the 24-7 prayer movement. He tweeted this recently. 
simply, Jesus had three years to save the planet and still found time for parties, picnics, and fishing trips. Hashtag relax. Isn't that great? Didn't he, didn't he do that in those three years that he had? Boy, I'd love to have been on one of those fishing trips. Don't you just, they're the times, like, I love the fact that in the Gospels they wrote all the accounts of what went on. That's brilliant. And boy, is it amazing. It's life-giving to us. It's God's word to us. But I would love to know what went on when Jesus and the lads were together on the boat. I would love to eavesdrop the conversations that went on and the things that they did. Boy, they must have had some fun uh, together. Carving out time allows for spontaneous hospitality. Uh, the couple on the left, the heroes of mine, I've not seen them in years, but they're called the Trevors, uh, Dave and Sue Trevor. I was a youth worker. It was my first proper job uh, in a church uh, in England. And uh, as a bachelor, uh, I think they took pity on me and uh, would often invite me up. And after a while of inviting me up, I just dropped in. I just called in from time to time. And these guys taught me everything I know about hospitality. I'd knock on the door for the first few times, and after a while I realized the back door was the place to go, and you didn't even need to knock on it. You just went in. And Sue there would always say, oh, hello, dear, in a nice posh, not quite posh, nice English accent. Hello, dear, would you like a cup of tea? And in you'd come and you'd have a cup of tea. And it's just wonderful. She just always seemed to have time and space in her life for spontaneous hospitality. I know that in this ever-increasing mad busy time that there is, that we should have time when we just ring up and say, do you want to come around? Or that we feel like we can call on each other because ultimately it's this face-to-face -face contact that we need it's not how many friends we have on Facebook or how many followers we have on Twitter it's actual face-to-face -face time and while we're on the subject of hospitality I'm going to offend some of you here um, about this but don't let your pride in your home get in the way of having people around because I know that there are many house proud people that just have to have their house in such a way to be able to invite someone round. Don't let that get in the way of being hospitable. Because I hear people saying, oh, oh, I couldn't possibly, I wouldn't want them to see the state of the house. That's just silly. And that's, that is just you getting in the way. And here's, here's how you know. You're the person that cleans the house before you go on holiday because you're worried what the burglars might think if they burgled in. <laughs> You're that person. And if you are that person, then I've offended you. Um, I don't want to offend you, but I do want you to think about that. You know, have people round. We should be hospitable towards one another. Leaving space allows for time to love one another. There are times in our days um, when, I'll just be honest with you, when life is busy, and uh, we're flat out, this is me and Chantel I'm describing right now. And when you get to bed and it's like, <laughs> you look at each other and go, hello dear, how was your day? <laughs> it's like 11 o'clock or past. And you're like, that, isn't that mental that you've just gone running, running, running all day long? It's like, oh, hello. And, and sometimes you get a good chat and then <laughs> that's that. And sometimes it's like, see you in the morning. <laughs> 
And that's, 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 like, and that's part and parcel of being busy and having those busy periods. But leaving space creates time to love. And love takes time. Love is required. Uh, light, sorry, time is required for love. And leaving space creates opportunities for love. And leaving space creates opportunities for making love. And us men all fall foul of kind of dealing with sex a bit like a cheap cup of coffee. Isn't that right? We like it instant. But love and creating spaces and opportunities for making love takes time. And uh, that's my words of wisdom for this morning. Remember when you were in love, when you fell in love? You had all the time in the world. And if you didn't have time, what did you do? You made time. Made time. And isn't that right for marriage, that we make time? And we can apply that same principle to any other meaningful relationship, that we make time, that we create space within our time. Leaving space allows for imagination. We need to give ourselves space for being creative and um, thinking creatively. I don't pretend at all, those of you who know me, you'll smile, I don't think I'm very creative. I'm not a creative, arty type of person. But I do think I'm creative. And uh, I, I need time in my life to think. And I need to ponder stuff. Otherwise, begin to journey life without being... You, you are unable to see the wood for the trees. And if life is too busy, you can't uh, have time for being imaginative and creative. You need headspace and you need heart space. In doing so, we gain insight, we gain perspective on life, we gain solutions to problems and a way of navigating in the future. That is partly why I'm so delighted that soon we get to go on holiday. This will be a, a long extended time of space to really ponder and to, to rest and to have fun, uh, a special time of love with a family and a special time to seek the Lord for direction. I really felt the Lord speak to me during the worship this morning. And he just gave me three words. Going beyond ourselves. They were the three words and I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget. I'm glad I've, I haven't forgotten it so far. And I think that's part of our next season. It's an insight into next season, folks. It's like, it's going beyond ourselves. This is ourselves, by the way. And you who are our guests this morning, I always say this to our guests. You are our VIPs. And, uh, and, and that's that that you are particularly welcome. Uh, but God has called us, is calling us as a church, not to be just this, but he calls us to go beyond ourselves. And um, part and parcel of that will be gaining space and saying, Lord, well, how does that work? How, what are we going to do? What do you want us to do? Where, where are you at work? And how would you like us? How are you inviting us to go partner with you? If that makes sense, I hope that's making sense. Leaving space allows God to speak. In fact, what I should have written in there was leaving space so that we can hear God speak. Because God's speaking all the time. He's trying to get our attention all the time. But giving space and time just allows us to tune in to the things that he's saying that we might hear him and uh, not miss what he's trying to say. Back to the story. We're coming into land. Boaz left space he left space around the edges and he allows Ruth to come to his field 
and to glean. He tells the men, stay away from her. Let her stay in our field. Look after her. In fact, later in the script, you'll read it when you go home. He deliberately tells his folks to leave bits of grain deliberately so that she can pick them up. He honors her. He fulfills his duty that was required of him to leave space in his field, and he does that. Those of us who know the rest of the story, due to his lineage and his relationship with her, he ends up uh, becoming, his, uh, becoming her husband, and they marry. Together they have a son called Obed. He is the father of Jesse. He is the father of David. Boaz and Ruth are the great grandparents of King David. And if Boaz had not left space around the edges, he would have missed his destiny. He would have missed what God had for him. And out of leaving the edges, leaving space, fulfilling what was required of him, he became the great-grandfather of King David. He wasted his time, his money, and his reputation, but it was worth it. As we approach this summertime, make space. Make, I've spoken loads about time. Go ahead and do that. You can apply the same thing to your money, leaving space in your bank accounts to waste, leaving uh, space for your, uh, your talents, that you can waste that. Pardon me, I just burped then. Pardon me again. Did you not hear it? I shouldn't have actually alluded to it, should I? Come as you are and all that. It was, it was probably the fourth wine gum that I had. Maybe I should have stuck on three. <laughs> He's good, isn't he? I, uh, it's, uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to break bread and, and share in, in what, he, what he did with his disciples. We're going to remind ourselves of that. Um, but let's, let, let's just take a moment and just pray. And just, just for a moment, just, just ponder the things that have been said there. It'll probably be something that sticks in your mind. That through the ramblings of all that, maybe God's spoken to you about something and just whatever that is, dial in with Jesus for a minute. What are you saying to us through that, God? And how do you want us to respond to you? Jesus, thank you so much that you love us so much. Thank you that there is a way to live beautifully and creatively and just have a great, full life. God, thank you that you promised us life in all its fullness. But God, this morning, we, as we look at that, it doesn't need to be full to live that life of fullness. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to 
uh, leave gleanings in our lives, that we would leave space for you, that we would leave space for relationship, that we'd leave space to encounter you. Thank you, Jesus, that through your brokenness, we might have life in all its fullness. And thank you that in that special meal that you had with your disciples, as you were eating, you took bread, you gave thanks, you broke it, and you gave it to your disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you that you now call us the body of Christ. Thank you through your brokenness we have life and that through that we are uh, together as one, as one family in unity. And then, Lord, you took the cup and you'd given thanks and you said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that through your precious blood, we can be free, we can be forgiven. And God, right now, I just pray that freedom be in this room. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I pray, Lord, I th I, in fact, I thank you so much that every day I'm seeing lives changed. I'm seeing you at work in our people. But God, we pray for more of this. More of this. And for you folks this morning, as you take of this bread and of this wine or Ribena that you would you'd remember that but that you would experience oneness and freedom those of you who are uh, doing communion uh, would you come on up And uh, worship band, if you'd like to go first, that would be great. Folks, um, we've two, two places. In a moment, I'm going to say, go. And uh, you can go. And uh, go and get communion. Go. You can go if you want. Um, there's, there's bread. There's, uh, there's wine. There's juice. Uh, there's usually gluten-free. Usually, I don't know where that is. Um, if you don't like sharing the glass, because that's a bit gross, uh, there's other cups and you can go get that. that.